We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. As you know, this has been launch week for my new book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I've probably had, oh, let's say 15 to 20 interviews in the last two days on various different talk shows and radio stations. Been on Fox News, Dennis Prager, Glenn Beck, Larry Elder show. And there's been one key theme, one key theme, narcissism and self-absorption is what ails us. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to The Rebellion. I know, you're probably saying he's talking about his book again. But, this has been the focus of my week. I've tried to give you a little bit of extra news here and there, and not just have it be a constant drumbeat of grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good. But I thought I would close the week by sharing with you the key thing that kept surfacing over and over again, not necessarily from me, but from the hosts that had invited me on their shows. Glenn Beck, Dennis Prager, Sebastian Gorka, Fox and Friends, Fox News, the list goes on. What was the one thing that they kept asking? What was the one question they wanted answered? I thought maybe it would be helpful to just finish out the week by sharing that with you. So I'm going to go to chapter 19 in my book. There's no I in team. And it's a chapter that talks about critical race theory, diversity, the constant drumbeat of victimization, of us versus them, the 99% versus the one, and me and mine and victimization, and I deserve reparations. This is a constant theme. Actually, it's the glue that binds a lot of what ails us together, in my view. So that'll be the topic for the day. Before we get into that, however, a little overview. Just so you know, I assume that most of you who follow this show probably care just a little bit about the grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good story. It was released on Tuesday, and it opened up as number four in its category. And it was in the category of new releases in the political liberal conservative category. It is still ranked number five in that category as the week has gone on. So it's done well. If we're going to bump it up to number one, go out and buy a couple more books. Tell your friends to buy a couple more books. (laughs) Buy a few books as gifts for graduation for college graduates as well as high school graduates. Encourage your family members to read the book and go give it a review on Amazon.com. I really appreciate the support all of you have offered to it. It wouldn't be where it is without you, so thank you. By the way, I'm writing a column 
for Fox News this weekend on the downfall of the ivory tower, the collapse of the academy, this selfishness, this childishness, the call for microaggressions, and the silencing of those who dare to ask questions about that particular agenda. It'll be titled, Education Isn't Supposed to be Safe. It'll be run this weekend, I believe, on Fox News. If you'd like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. And remember, you can buy Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good on any online bookstore, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Target, or any other online bookstore that you choose to use. You can also go and get it from a real bookstore, Barnes & Noble and whatnot, if there's one in your neighborhood. Let's take an early break, acknowledge our corporate sponsors, and when we get back, we're going to talk about Vince Lombardi's quote, that there's no I in team, and how that relates to the current culture's constant fixation on self, constant fixation on me and mine. And if you say something I don't like, I'm going to pick up my ball and go home. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So Vince Lombardi once said, individual commitment to a group effort, that is what makes a team work, a company work, or a society work, or a civilization work. Individual commitment to a group effort. In other words, there's no I in team. Vince Lombardi, famous football coach for the Green Bay Packers. One of the things I was constantly asked as I launched the book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, was why are we here? What is the core problem? Is there any common thread that binds this malaise together, binds this disease of heart, mind, and soul together? And is there anything we can do about it? And I think the answer to the question is, well, you should be trying to diagnose the disease properly, because if you don't, you're not going to be able to prescribe the cure. So I think that's a very important question. And I would argue there is a common thread. There is a molecule, if you will, that's causing this cultural disease. The common thread is this fixation on self, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's intersectionality, whether it is critical race theory, critical law theory, critical theory, whether it's microaggressions, trigger warnings, the call for safe spaces. It's all grounded in this one key childish whine. You offended me. You hurt me. And I want payback. It's all about me. It's all about me. When it all comes down to it, that's what Black Lives Matter is about. It's all about me. You offended me. You hurt me. You might respond and say, well, I didn't. And then the retort is, well, your ancestors did. Well, when did they do that? 
150 years ago. Frankly, this is the difference between Islam and Christianity. Did you ever notice that most of the Muslim countries, if not all of them, hold a grudge? They have a long memory. Have you ever noticed that? In fact, you've heard of that. You've read about that. You've heard Muslims that have converted to Christianity talk about that. The Muslim faith has a long memory. And it's a, member, it's a memory of revenge. It's a memory of your ancestors did this 100 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. And it's time for payback. That's not Christianity. Oh, I'm not arguing that Christianity has always been perfect. And the reason it's not is because Christians aren't perfect. And don't fall into this trap that somehow because Christians are imperfect and have made mistakes, that you should just throw out the baby with the bathwater, and that Christianity itself needs to be condemned along with the Christians. No, that's not true. And you might say, well, that's true. Your argument could hold for Islam, too. Well, not really, because you have to go to the very teachings of the two religions. Christianity condemns revenge. Christianity says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Christianity calls for forgiveness. Christianity doesn't focus on self, it focuses on the Savior. Christianity says you must be born again, that you can't accept the fact that you were born that way. Christianity says the old must die, the new must come. Christianity is a faith of conversion. It's a faith of repentance. It's a, re it's a faith of reformation. There's a difference between Christianity and Islam, and all other religions for that matter. I've told you the story once before that I was invited to Hollywood once to serve on a panel to review a brand new movie. It was titled, Lord, Save Us From Your Followers. At the end of that movie, I was asked what I thought of it. Well, the topic of the movie was very simple. It was an expose about a lot of bad things that Christians had done. Judgmental attitudes, jerky Christians that give the message of the church, give the message of Christ a bad name. Everybody expected me to pan the movie and say, well, I don't like the movie. I said the exact opposite. I said, well, it's a pretty good message. And they were curious. Well, why did you say that? And I said, because it just proves the point. Christianity is the only worldview out there that has a self-cleansing capacity, a self-critical capacity. There's a reason that we have a reformation and other religions don't. It's because Christianity is reformational. It always returns to true north. It's grounded in revival. It's grounded in repentance. It's grounded in returning to the things that matter as you make a 180 degree turn and go the other direction. Christianity is the soap of culture that cleanses it of its sin. This is the difference between Christianity and other worldviews. Christianity doesn't seek revenge and recompense. Christianity tells us not to focus on self, but to focus on others. I would argue that there's nothing in the Christian faith that aligns itself with Black Lives Matter and critical race theory. And this is why I'm so disgusted with the evangelical leaders out there that are somehow falling over themselves to embrace everything that critical race theory stands for.
and to start judging people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character. To actually codify into law and into practice a racist worldview that looks, that looks at the actual physical characteristics of a human being and judges them by those characteristics and actually says that if you have those characteristics, you are evil by definition and you need to apologize for it. You need to apologize for your white privilege. Very few people are willing to challenge this nonsense because they've got you cornered. They're basically cornering you and saying, well, if you deny your white privilege, then it proves that you have it. It's a circular argument. It's a catch-22. But we can't allow that lack of logic and that lack of reason to prevail. Because if we do, we're going to live in a balkanized culture. And it's going to get worse. This is the opposite of the gospel. There's no I in the team of the gospel. And I would argue that the modern concept of diversity is antithetical to the gospel. Really, you say? I mean, we've been told over and over again that the church should be inclusive, that the church should reflect the diversity of God's creation. I agree with all of that. I'm not saying anything opposed to that. But that's not what modern-day diversity means. Diversity has become not synonymous with inclusion and desegregation. Diversity now means exclusion and segregation. We've turned the whole issue on its head like we've done everything else, and we're calling good evil and evil good and black white and white black and bittersweet and sweet bitter. Now diversity is synonymous with division rather than the unity of the various different shades and cultures and tribes within God's creation. That's not what diversity means within the Black Lives Matter agenda or the critical race theory agenda. And it frankly isn't what diversity means within the Democratic Party. When your God is diversity, unity will not be tolerated. That's where we are today. If our priority is diversity, a second thing, we will never realize the first thing of unity. Today's diversity is self-centered. It's self-centered. At its core, it divides rather than unites. It's grounded in the premise of me against you and us against them. And that's why I continue to say that the modern march for diversity is childish. Me, me, me. I deserve that. I deserve this. I'm offended. You hurt my feelings. This is all the antithesis of Christ's admonition to die to self. And when we enable others to fixate on self, we're enabling them to continue in sin. And that is not what the body of Christ should do. This is childish. It's selfish. It's all about give me mine. Give me mine. It's the antithesis, once again, of Christ's admonition 
to die to self. We aren't supposed to be fixated on I. There is no I in team. Now, children, children are by their very nature. They're by their very nature. They're individualistic and they're insular. They don't care. Kids don't care. Children don't care. The terrible twos don't care. They don't care much about anything other than themselves. This is the nature of being a child. Children want what they want. Other people and their needs, that doesn't matter. That doesn't even cross their minds. Adults, adults should be the opposite. To the contrary, adults should be mature enough to understand that life isn't just about them. Adults should see the wisdom of promoting unity rather than division, of integration rather than segregation, of us rather than mine, a United States rather than a divided states. Adults ought to care more about common cause than personal grievances. They should care more about unity than the division that comes with demanding their personal rights. Do you understand this? Do you understand why the diversity agenda is grounded in all of these negative things? I've always had a problem with this, even back in the 80s and 90s, when I was at the early stage of my career within the Christian Academy. I always felt that there was a blindness that the Christians within the Christian educational establishment, the enterprise of Christian colleges and universities, they were embracing multiculturalism and diversity. And there's nothing wrong with including. In fact, there's everything right about including everyone within God's creation, within the body of Christ. And if anyone listening to me right now does anything other than that, then you're not on my team. Inclusion of everyone within the body of Christ. There is no, there is neither Jew nor Greek. In other words, all Jews and all Greeks, all men and all women, all that are held in bondage and all who are free, to quote the Apostle Paul, are part of the body of Christ if they confess their sins and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The body of Christ is colorblind. Oh, I can't believe you say that. That seems to diminish the distinctions and the differences. The great tapestry of God's creation. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What it does is it doesn't talk about division. And it rather focuses on unity. Adults should see the value of hundreds of hands working together rather than one person's hand clapping in mid-air. And when you take on the agenda of BLM, critical race theory, you're dividing the body to the point where one hand has been separated from the other and two hands can't clap together any longer because one hand is suspicious, always suspicious, always blaming, always ridiculing, always hating and seeking revenge and recompense from the other hand. Unity says, the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. Unity says, we're part of the same body. Unity, Christian unity says, stop talking about the distinction between hand and foot and work together for the good 
of the entire unit. There is no I in team. What would a symphony be if there was only one person playing a triangle and no other musicians or instruments? Adults see that the full orchestra makes the music. What would a team be? And you know this. We've talked about it throughout our athletic years, about the ball hog. It's annoying. All he cares about is his own points. And he may be very talented. He comes on the court. He grabs the ball. You're not going to see it. Your job is to grab the rebounds after he misses a few shots. And that's all the glory you'll ever see because he's all about himself. When we reverse the order and focus on the second things of diversity rather than unity, we're not going to get either. And that's what you're seeing right now in our cultural conflict. You're not going to get diversity. You're going to get segregation rather than integration. You're going to get us against them. You're going to get people of one particular look condemning everybody else. And you're going to foster anger and resentment because you're divisive. You're not seeking to unify. You're drawing distinctions, unhealthy distinctions between people. This is what the abolitionists fought against. This is what B.T. Roberts, who founded the Free Methodist Church, found fought against. This is what Orange Scott and Luther Lee the founders of the Wesleyan Church fought against. They fought against this racism of categorizing and pigeonholing people by the color of their skin and giving privileges or restrictions accordingly. They said this is not right. This is not godly. This is not biblical. We're not going to focus on the way people look because it doesn't matter. What matters is the content of their character. Do they have true confession? Do they have true repentance? Are they honest human beings? Are they godly human beings? Do they seek to help others or are they constantly fixated on themselves? And the diversity agenda that we're living with today is that constant fixation. It's the antithesis of what MLK said. I said it over and over again in my interviews today and those yesterday and the day before with regard to grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good. I said it over and over again. Are we really at the point in our culture where we're going to start judging people by the color of their skin rather than the content of their character? That's a rhetorical question we should be asking. I hope the answer is no. But that's not what you're seeing in our Congress and in our courts and in our corporations. We're judging people by the color of their skin, and we're judging them by their habits and their proclivities and their inclinations. That's the way we've chosen to start dividing, dividing, dividing the human race, rather than uniting it in a biblically responsible and moral way. I also have talked repeatedly in my interviews about enablement and how I refuse to enable this nonsense. How tolerance is synonymous with enablement. And as I've said before, it's not synonymous with love. Love and tolerance are antithetical. They're antonyms. They're not synonyms. They're opposites. Tolerance enables. 
It enables bad behavior. It enables bad attitudes. It enables those things that are harmful because it just says, I don't care. I'm going to tolerate you and I'm going to tolerate it. Love will refuse to enable and affirm someone if they're doing something wrong. We are force-feeding our progeny. We're force-feeding them. We're force-feeding our kids, those that follow us, our kids and our grandkids, a steady diet of individualism and diversity rather than the higher ideas, the first things of sacrifice and unity. This is what we're doing right now in our schools and in our churches. So why are we surprised to see a generation of self-centered adults frozen in their childish claims of entitlement and demands for their fair share? We've set up those who follow us for failure by encouraging them to believe that their safety is more important than their neighbor's soul. Their safety is more important than their neighbor's soul. And we've taught them that they are entitled to everything rather than obligated to give anything. The common thread is selfishness. Selfishness. What has caused it? Enablement, intolerance, and affirmation, and safety. Second things, rather than first things, result in a broken people. A people that refuse to clean themselves up with the soap of the church, the soap of Christianity. The reformation, the revival, the redemption, the repentance the returning to true north that only Christianity brings. Because Christianity, the gospel, says stop thinking about yourself. It isn't about you. If you want to fix the world's problems, if you want to fix the world's problems, stop whining about what you deserve and start attending to the things that you need to confess. Nobody else owes you anything. You deserve nothing. In fact, if you get what you deserve from God, it doesn't end well. Let me just say it that way. Thankfully, we don't get what we deserve. Because through the grace of God, we can get beyond all this nonsense and become new creations in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. Unity in the body. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.